0: Past Eve and Adams from swerve of shore to bend of bay brings us by a commodious vicus of recirculation back to Houth Castle and environs. Sir Tristram Viola de Ramores, from o'er the short sea had pass and corre arrived from north Armortica on this side the scraggy isthmus of Europe minor to wielder fight his penisolate war. Nor had Top Sawyer's rocks by the stream Ocone exaggerated themselvesy to Lawrence County's Gorgios while they went Dublin their mumper all the time. Nor a voice from a fire belowzed Misha Misha to Tauf Tauf art Patrick, Not yet, though Vinnie soon after. Had a kid scad but ended a bland old Isaac. Not yet, though all's fair in Vanessie. Where sozy seathers wroth with two on Nathan Joe a Peck of palmalts had gin or shem by arc light, and glory in to the raganbrow was to be seen ringsome on the aqua face. The fall, Ba-Ba-Ba, Dal-Garag, Takan, Menoronk, Onbronton, Gronton, Thunkorb, to who Hordenen, Thurnak, of a once wall-straight old pars retailed early in bed and later on life down through all Christian minstrelsy. The great fall of the off-wall entailed at such short notice the Peshut of Finnegan, ere solid men, that the humpty hillhead of himself promptly sends an unquiring one well to the west in quest of his tumpty toes. And their upturned pike point in place is at the knockout in the park, where oranges have been laid to rust upon the green since Devlin's first loved Liffey. Welcome. <laughs> I'm Professor Rachel Fulton Brown, and this is The Mosaic Arc. Why a mosaic? Why an arc? Well, tonight, my co-host and I, Kiltz Caliphant, are going to teach you to speak Internet. If you didn't already know and if you didn't understand what I was just saying, we're here to take you on a journey with us through the wilds of the mosaic. So I'm still here alone because we're, we're having some tech issues, and Skype is t- trying to communicate all the way across the entire globe. And so I'll just warm us up. How's that? <laughs> so I'm very happy to see all of you here um, on the internet. And I, I apologize to UATV viewers, particularly, for being so long gone. Um, it's been a wild year, hasn't it? I mean, yesterday, the CDC finally says that, oh, the, there is no difference between the vaccinated and the unvaccinated, which we all kind of knew. But this, this feeling of where are we now? What what kind of journey are we now going to be on now that, well, the masks are off? Well, we've taken our masks off. And what Kilts and I are going to do um, with you tonight and then in, in this live stream over I mean, we hope weekly over the next however long it takes. I think we're on a long journey now. We've she and I have been on the poetry journey in our Dragon Common Room now together for two full years. We're working on our third poem together. We have you know a full team of writers and artists, and the kinds of things that we've been learning from being on the internet are some of the things that we wanted to share with you um, in this mosaic arc. Well. Why a mosaic, why an arc? It's, it's gonna take a little bit of setup and preparation to get you to the point where I hope that intro just made sense. <laughs> it's, it's all there, absolutely all of there is encapsulated in, in that series of images. And um, it's also a, a clue to, I think, what what it is, what kind of moment that we're living through, um, being here on the internet, the streaming, and this is like the, 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 the metaphors that we're living in are very, very resonant and significant. And that's where I want us to start. That's really where I want us to start now. I'm realizing I'm out of practice being on my own, right? What am I, What have I been doing all my all my lonesome for this this past year? Well, um, we published Aurora Barry Alice in in the winter. Um, those of you who watched our little promo tech stream practice. Um, we'll know that, um, you know, we, we were working on that for the Bears all through last winter. Um, it's been out now for about six months, and some of what I hope to share with you tonight is also going to draw on some of the writing process that we went through and bringing that that poem to publication. Um, but it's also, what I'm also really hoping to do is open out for you the way in which this poetry work has also been intersecting with my scholarly um, journey. My scholarly journey went on a, a bit of a detour the last five or six years, thanks to all of the things that I've been learning about um, in bl- blogging and being friends with Milo and, you know, meeting Vox and Owen, meeting a lot of other people out here and in, in the internet, playing on Telegram. Um, but I'm happy to report that as of, as of you know, I don't know, that the, the time frames are often kind of difficult to, to remember now. Um, I've started coming back to my scholarship and I realized why I had to take this this sort of detour through, I mean, not so much Tolkien, Tolkien was always part of my scholarship there, but really this detour through the internet to learn certain things that I needed to know in order to be a better medievalist and that that's a kind of funny that's a kind of funny way to say it because it's like, well, but you trained as a medievalist. You know how to do scholarship. You know how to make references and citations and and find all the sources and everything. Well, but I also I I, I also never made sense to my colleagues, right, that I, I didn't as an academic seem to have a just a straightforward relationship with, well, you know, doing that scholarship, doing all those footnotes. I was always trying to like break out of the frame and and say you know I want to look at the frame I want to look at the the outside and the inside and the participation that we're in well th- thankfully over the past year I've been given an insight into how I was kind of always already in in this river run stream as as my poets and I've been talking about it um that we that I was always already trying to understand the medium that we were Participating in um, because I started back in as an undergraduate with a professor um, who taught New Testament when I was an undergraduate in, in Houston. And he was this was Professor Werner Kelber, he was already interested in the, the difference between the oral and the written gospel, the, the way in which Jesus in his teaching um, was remembered, and then how that remembered gospel, that oral um, communal transmitted gospel you know verbal vocal transmitted gospel was um written down and what kinds of changes d- it occurred in in the in the act of of transcription as it were and that was that was you know literally where i started as as a scholar because professor kelber's classes on thinking about the way um jesus was represented in the gospels became the the background for everything that i did in my own scholarship and showing the way in which medieval Christians were reading um, the scriptures for stories about Christ and Mary and, and reading scriptures that, you know, you wouldn't think of as being about Christ and Mary, particularly the Song of Songs, but also, also the Psalms. Um, and those of you who are familiar with my published work, my books, um, From Judgment to Passion and Mary in the Art of Prayer will know that that is what I was trying to do. I was trying to show you this medieval way of reading, which I got very excited, particularly in marrying the art of prayer, at thinking I can I can take you into the frame of their practice. Well, you know various fortunes that my my scholarship has had over the last few years. One of them was, and I keep saying this because it gets more normal and ordinary, I didn't get promoted to full professor, right? I'm I'm still an associate professor, which Vox Vox, um, said something about this a few years ago um, in one of his dark streams. What happened? Well, some of what happened was I, you know, played on the Internet too much. Um, but I've I've more recently come to a, a sort of calmer understanding of well what I was always doing was too far ahead I, I got that right but it was it was too far ahead into this mosaic which is our digital world our our digital elect- you know a digital electronic manuscript world of juxtapositions and memes and jokes and streaming and oddly enough. The that that you know the reason I got there was because Professor Kelber had already been showing me the the direction to go, and he was doing that because he had been a student of Walter Ong, and Walter Ong, who's a Jesuit, had studied at St. Louis University with Marshall McLuhan. Now, our 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 sort of topic tonight is very much, you know, we're going to show you what McLuhan has taught us about being in the mess, in the medium, right? Being the way in which the medium is the message, the way in which we understand um, our environment as shaped by the kind of media that we're, that we're participating in. You, most people know McLuhan as, oh, you know, he was that weird media guru back in the sixties who talked about turning in and dropping out and no wait, that was Timothy Leary. They were, it was like, we were all already in the, um, Shamanistic Rainbow Age of Aquarius that is the electronic media of radio and movies and television and so forth. and McLuhan was able to talk about all of this as a kind of absorptive experience this into the light right if you you go back and you review this video and you look again at that intro that I just showed you that array of books that you saw under my name is some of the reading that I've been doing over the decades in this past year. It's both mcLuhan, it's both my books and it's also. Rupert of Deutz or John Benge's book on Rupert of Deutz and we're trying to learn how to be within this I mean the fancy word is exegesis within this this experience of being within the scriptures which I was always participating in we say okay you studied you know New Testament with Professor Kelber and he was studying with Walter Ong who was doing orality and literacy and and they were studying with Marshall McLuhan wait we thought Marshall McLuhan was talking about like ads He's like meme lords back in back in the ad days. And you know, McLuhan's talking about television being this cool medium that gets projected onto you. And what does that have to do with medieval manuscript culture in the New Testament? Well, this is what's so delightful about it. McLuhan was actually trained as a medievalist. <laughs> and so what he came to in his understanding of um, media was in fact out of his own training in the arts of the trivium, the arts of the um, quadrivium and the trivium, and um, the the, the, the way in which grammar and rhetoric and dialectic were studied in the medieval universities and, and monastic schools. Now, what was interesting about this was he was actually, he never meant to be talking about the Middle Ages. What he was trying to do was talk about the 16th century and why they ended up in certain battles between The rhetoric, the rhetorician, uh, sorry, the dialecticians and the grammarians, but in order to understand that, he had to go back, you know, sort of back in time, and you end up on this great river of understanding and 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 mystery. Um, and there's there 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 are layers and layers and layers here. If you look at the books on my bed, you can see some of the pattern there. It's like it's it's I have to lay it out on my bed as a mosaic, so that you start seeing the way in which these things connect and interconnect and and come together. That um, I I I found out that I'd actually always always been do- already always been doing what McLuhan was wrestling with, in that he had rediscovered the way in which medieval Christians read the scriptures, and you know if we read in in. Um, in in his in in the medium and the light where he's talking about the way in which Christians you know are behaving in in this new media environment, he's a lot about Vatican II and so forth. You start realizing that we are in one of these great threshold moments, the, as big as the transition between manuscript and print, the transition between print and electricity, in the 19th century blew open the doors, and now we've gone from the electrical to the digital, and that's what we want to share with you now. I have the privilege of, I think, finding out that my, my, my partner is here now. So she, she's laughing and now you can't hear her yet. You'll let me bring her in. Can you hear me? I can hear you, but now I have to resize you because you came at the, the, that, that, um, that was my bad. Yeah, they can. The people can hear you. you can apologize profusely for making the professor.
1: I'm sorry. Have to so be sorry. inelegant
0: with her tack. <laughs> there's, there's no forgiving you on this. This was a punk setup. <laughs> uh, you your punk setup, and I'm I'm not making you pretty right mm-hmm. now. Just a sec. You, no, you no the... You need to. You need to move more. You're you're in the corner of the picture. Oh really? Yeah. Yeah. How is that possible? I don't know. That's, that's, you need to, I don't know which way to say you have to move. You need to move towards me in the screen, but now we just have you in the, in the window. Move, moved. I think to your right. I did it. This yes, way? I did it. Okay. Woo-hoo! So you are now in, right. Okay. So I'm telling the people about McLuhan and the problem, and I'm all scholarly and stuff like that. Thank you for saving me. These people have no idea what I've been talking about for the last 15 minutes, (laughs) which is why, which is why it's actually very important that it's the two of us and not just me turning this into a lecture. (laughs) Please translate for the people what I've just been talking about. Okay. Um, what have you been talking about? <laughs> I don't McLuhan. 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 Tell, tell, tell them what you now know about McLuhan. Thanks to my, I, I've just given them the the actual like. Okay, here was my, acad- here's my pedigree. Here's my bibliography. Got the, my books on the bed is my bibliography. Kilts, thank the Lord, can translate all that into ordinary speech. Well, what are we doing with the poetry? Yeah, and that and that too, right? So. What are we doing with the poetry? Um,
1: So, uh, well, why did we get into McLuhan in the first place? Like, we we were thrown into (laughs) that because... (laughs) Help me! Because you... Well, we've all been trying to figure out exactly why the media and the tech we're using is transforming the way we're thinking, right? right? Um, And for anyone out there who doesn't know, DCR is Rachel Fulton Brown's brainchild, so dragon common room has has been the um the kernel of us beginning this kind of mcluhan esque medieval um adventure together um it basically she figured out that what we were doing on telegram was essentially a medieval style of communication and uh i mean that's basically where i can start you're doing, <laughs> we start- you're doing a way
0: better job of t- explaining me than i was <laughs> <should> keep going <laughs> <laughs> it's because i've had to think about it so much um uh,
1: you know it's uh for, for for anyone who doesn't realize you know don't make don't make friends with world famous historians unless you want to constantly <laughs> think about stuff that's no, good um yeah, we we trying to we're trying to figure out exactly what w- what the shift is, you know, because we can all feel it. I mean, our brains have changed since we started using the internet. Yes. Um. And especially in a in a medium like Telegram, you know, we we start talking about the medium. The medium is the massage. The medium is the message. The, the way McLuhan did. We've gone through a massive um, neurological shift in using that medium. Uh, I don't know, I speak for myself, but I know the professor has has felt it as well. Since we started using it in 2019, there's um, there's been a massive explosion in terms of what we're able to communicate with each other there that we would not have been able to in, in many other um, forums, right? Right. I mean, how many people can do group poetry to the level that we're doing it at with all of the research that goes into it and the side conversations that are going into it without that particular medium it just wouldn't have been possible in any other way so what the professor is doing is looking at what McLuhan was looking at which is how the technology of the medieval people um influenced um their monastic practice and and then of course what happened to Europe when the printing press came on the scene, and what that did to the psychology of uh, of Christendom.
0: Yeah? Yes, I, I just, I'm gonna just, so now you all understand <laughs> why Kilts and I need to be together, right? Because there's... there's... Yes. <laughs> <laughs> we, just proof, proof of concept here if if you just have me right and and milo loves saying this to me it's like nobody ever understands what you're talking about And i'm like i i understand what i'm talking about but most everybody else so kilts of i whether you were watching the stream before you were you were here um i start by reading james joyce right now the usual because because as you do right if you're going to start a new a new internet um, you know live stream you're, what the first thing you do is read river run and it 's going to sound like gibberish right that was <laughs> and i i actually I actually tried to practice what the thunder says, and I still bungled it right um so that that it's a dim- it was to to my mind a demonstration of like most of what I say into the internet without you know the translation of the poetry or the memes or the kind of po- the kind of work that we've been doing together in DCR sounds to to people like gibberish right it i mean joy, yeah. joy sounds like absolute utter complete terrible high academic got to read this with 18 million footnotes gibberish but there's one there's one there's one phrase in that opening opening page that I read that I know is what we're doing and it's Christian minstrelsy there's something there's something about what Joyce was you know Joyce whether he was you know he's trained by Jesuits and you know whether he's Catholic in his long run or not or who knows what it's he's trying to show us what the joy of the Christian story is and this gibberish that's coming out in this in this this dream vision that he's describing is the, I think it's the way Christians sound when we're not, when we're in the world, right? We sound like we're nuts constantly. It's always, always, always nuts. And I, I'm saying, you know, to me, all of it makes sense. The medieval Christian exegesis makes sense. I have I, I, for tonight, I brought, you know, some, some sample passages just to show you how, you know, how, how zany it sounds, right? But to me, there's a, there's a mass, there's a beautiful structure in it. I know how to think of it through the liturgy. I know how to think of it as joyous. I know how to think of it in terms of these, um, you know, magical, alchemical, um, transformative images in it. But when I speak either as an academic, well, if if I speak as an academic to ordinary people, I sound like the thunder. Right? <laughs> what? What? The, I, I'm going to try it again because it's like, ba, ba, ba. Well, da, I understand you, I have to write it out, right? Most of the time, I think when I'm speaking to ordinary people, that's what they hear. It's just this rumble, 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 right? But it's meaning, it's deeply, deeply meaningful if you are somehow within the right. Dreamscape, and that's that's I realized in retrospect when I came into Telegram and and you know the first thing I was in was Milo's chat and that was you know this this wild sort of surfing of different characters and churches of Telegram and stuff like that but I didn't make any sense there because I kept I was I was you know playing with stickers I was too silly I was serious as professor but why is she you know playing with you know snap stickers and stuff like that and the furries and oh my gosh and it it, it just made no sense. And then after I'd been in there a year and COVID hit and I'm like, okay, we need, a, we need a common room where we write poetry and where I can figure out what it is I'm trying to do when I say, what will save us is iambic pentameter.
1: Yes. Well, you always made sense to me.
0: <laughs> nobody else. To absolutely nobody else I ha- did I make sense.
1: No, you speak perfectly... <laughs> I like thunder, you know. Maybe it's just an Australian thing. <laughs> we speak, we speak in thunder down here. Um, thunder down under. Thunder down under. Yeah. Where? Yeah. Look, the. I think this is the problem, though. is because, um, I'm not. Thinking normally half of the time, like we in DCR, we have a very joycean way of of thought, and um. You know, McLuhan talked about this with amateurs, right? He said that in this digital era, the amateur is going to have great uh, kind of um, prowess in the sense that the amateur isn't worried about the specialism because the digital, the electric eliminates the linear hyper-specialism of the printing press, where now you're coming from academia post-printing press, which is all about hyper-specialism. Although you can uh, uh, you can do both because you're a medievalist, but I think a lot of the um, the fear around talking uh, to academics is that you are you're talking to someone who's hyper specialised, who has been Gutenberg to mm. death to the point where. iconographic thinking has been completely eliminated because if there is no footnotes and there are not 500,000 references for what you're talking about, it doesn't exist. So what, what essentially I saw you doing when you were being uh, amazing with the stickers. um,
0: (laughs) I love (laughs) me and stickers. Before you get
1: your sticker (laughs) privileges taken away for abusing them.
0: (laughs) I constantly lost
1: my stickers. Yes, she did. It's true. Um, but this is it. It was like I could see what you were doing. This is a medieval marginalia right. just in in moving time, you know. So why would monastics spend, uh, you know, countless hours in a scriptorium developing these beautiful manuscripts, developing these gorgeous illuminated gospels and all of these other religious texts? And then in the corner you have someone fighting on a donkey or like... <laughs> A, a, a rabbit sort of, like, uh, you know, wrapped up in a sheet and being fed to a little weasel backwards. Like, it doesn't make any sense. It's a kind of madness which is um, exploding out of the text. But I think that people underestimate that this kind of um, behaviour, the, it's the behaviour of healthy Christic psyche. Yes. so this... Is what i saw you doing and then you know we kept talking i thought oh my god i have to to follow this woman around the internet because i knew exactly what you were doing um so in terms of like whether or not everyone can speak thunder i think everybody can it's just that we've been dealing with a world where uh, anything intellectual has been in gutenberg yes and you Um, say and until now us amateurs we haven't been able to
0: access it at all it's uh it's behind a wall well the funny thing so the funny thing about the being gutenberg it's like what we what we're going to try to show people and in what we've learned in, in writing the poetry and, and playing with all of the images and the stickers and so forth is in fact there are you do the referencing already right it's like saying yes. telegram anybody who's been playing in telegram which is where we've been working on this poetry um already knows how to do all of these kind of illusions and references and nonsense names and thunder stories and you know the river run. It's it's all already in our experience and you know some of it is saying, oh my gosh, she's given up on the culture and you know you're just gonna go into the the you know the culture wars have been lost. You know, Professor Fulton Brown is gonna do nothing but digital digital media. And I was like, well <laughs> um no. Uh because we're missing out on the, the art of indeed also the printing the printed world, right? It's 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 interesting. We don't we, in losing in losing Christian art. We don't just, um, we we don't just lose access to the medieval or corrupt the 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 present. We actually lose access also to the art of the printed the printed period. It's it's the 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 structure mm-hmm. and the beauty. Iambic pentameter is you know early printed English. It's Shakespeare. It's um alexander pope that we started with right it's it's the it's milton it's the greatest poetry in the english language was printed in iambic pentameter and and so the linearity of it as well as the thundering heartbeat of of the of the sound and the resonances it's it's it it, mcclellan always mcclellan often got accused of you know being anti-print and he was like no i'm a book man i i love you know i i want people to be able to read the books but in order to understand why people aren't reading the books he was suggesting we also need to understand the media that they're immersed in and the differences between them, right? So saying, you know, here we are on this this streaming medium that, you know, the digital world is making possible to us. Can that mean that we learn again to read books? Can that mean that we learn again to read manuscripts? Can that learn that mean that we learn again to immerse ourselves in all Christian art and not you know i you know i get very upset with it. people say oh you want to live in the middle ages i'm like no i live now <laughs> mm-hmm. i want to have the joy of christ in the art that we are making now in all of these media registers right so i i don't want people to 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 have this feeling that i'm at i'm at war with academia i'm not academia has its place as well as the digital and it's interesting that we end up in these battles which is I was also telling them at the beginning that you know McLuhan was a, a student of medieval education because he was trying to understand the 16th century and the battles that broke out both in the middle ages and in in the early printing period that can feel very familiar now right they're they're sort of the fake mm-hmm. binaries that everybody ends up trapped in you're you're endlessly arguing over the the red and the blue the 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 trad and the ortho the this and the that and they're actually two parts of the same twin the tw- their pa- twin mm. pairs so
1: we we talked about that a lot um what exactly was it about printing that transformed christendom i think it's probably a good thing for you to explain to everybody because um that that that'll get them to to be able to think about why we're emphasizing minstrelsy so much mm-hmm. So why is it that that printing press sent uh, such an intense vibrational shift, if you want to call it that, throughout
0: Christendom? So McLuhan McLuhan was able to think about the way media create the environment that people exist in, and he was it was very interesting because he has the, this sort of twin idea of media are extensions of our bodies but also our, our minds and, and with the electric, the, our nervous systems, right? It's like you end up with this like vast electronic brain out there, which is like all of our psyches extended physically and, and, and mentally into the, into the um, internet with printing. He understood. So you have to look at the, the, the actual like form of the media itself. Printing presses were you know, you'll like this, right? This is one of the we 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 tag everything in, in Dragon Comeru's McLuhan moment now. Right? Here's this McLuhan moment. The printing press was originally made from wine presses. The same technology as wine pressing, right? <laughs> Crushing of grapes, making making drink, right? It's like the same kind of uh, screw press thing that say like they they re, re, rejig it to be um, uh, a, a, a a machine for printing down on the. The, the paper right so it, one it's it's a wine press that you then make mechanical type with so he said in, printing mechanizes everything it, it turns you know, everybody's surrounded by this mechanical reproduction of the little pieces of lead right molten lead that you are then pressing into mm-hmm. um, so it's rep it's replicable in that and and it has this this mechanized effect it's also because you can make multiple copies of that same page um, it, it, it takes away a lot of the the sort of obviously the handwritten stuff of manuscripts, so it's it's more rigid and, and, and structured. Um, but it, 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 what he understood was it it forces you to read um, in a very linear way, right You have to, to focus on the eye on a, on a, a line of text and you do the line work, line work, line work. And what he realizes that psychologically that trains you to be very, very visual. Um, you're, you've lost mm. the oral, character of what he he said was and he was right man, um, medieval education was a lot more oral in 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 certain ways because people would like copy out the books as the lectures are happening because they're re- hearing it read and with the printing press you read to yourself much more not absolutely but and and it's all this linear stuff right every student that i have who comes to me and I, they're looking guilty and i can look at them and i say how much do you read and that you know they're 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 ready for the oh kids these days they've lost all you know education they don't read enough things and if I can get them their trust I'm like well you're reading all the time because you've got your phone right but it it mm-hmm. scrolls right it feels different there's a there's a malleable uh, the digital is obviously very um, it's not necessarily ephemeral because we can archive it too but it's it's fluid you can resize it and stuff. printed pa printed pages are fixed right you have to. Fix your eye on it. They're very stable. You have to learn to, to train yourself that way. People don't read right now because it's physically hard. And what what McLuhan actually appreciated was how disciplined that kind of reading practice actually was, and therefore the psychological effects of reading in that mode actually were. Yeah. Contrast that with being, you know, radio or this, a live stream or a, an audio book or you know all of the other ways that you can have language come at you the 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 electric the electric world made it possible to like be in surround sound constantly and that's mm. what McLuhan was saying you know the, the 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 kids those the kids these days in the 1960s who were surrounded by electronic music you know record players and and transistor radios and i guess by the 70s we had you know walkmans and tapes and stuff um, you 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 don't have to like train. You don't have to be in your eye like that all the time, right? You're in the 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 rainbow, electric.
1: You're in rainbow You're in time. Rainbow time. <laughs> so this is you've just given me a thought. Uh, in terms of the effect, then, of reading printed uh, material, a printed medium. What does th- what does that do to a culture? because if if reading print is is a discipline itself it, in order to read print, you need to be disciplined enough to sit down and read mm-hmm. it. What is that going to do to cultures that then have alphabets? Oh. Versus oral cultures that don't have alphabets. Uh,
0: well, and what's interesting about that is, alphabet culture is obviously also manuscript culture or stone culture, right? Cuneiform is ta- clay tablets, stones. So, alphabet is is a layer. It's like I, I guess I I've, I've, I spent this past week learning how to put everything into our OBS set, right? And so we have you know like layers of this and layers of that. And it's like if you're thinking in terms of which layer is which, the alphabet's a very ancient and and powerful layer that creates empires and um it it it, it certainly creates the ability to have long distance information travel so the ancient empires are all the first thing the alphabet does is is create power right um and and particularly Mm -hmm. with the the romans you get um uh the, the imperial legions need both the roads everybody knows that right so you think of them roads those roads are military rivers, as it were. They're they're, you know, land rivers that the military can move along. But you also need writing to be able to send the orders. Um and and, and so alphabets and McLuhan got this a little bit from this this other scholar Harold Innes, which everyone says, Oh, McLuhan's just stealing from Harold Innes. Like, no, this is the way scholars work. We just like get an idea and build on it. Um, that that Innes understood that, you know, this imperial technology of roads and, and alphabet was essential to the Roman Empire um but then when you get you get um uh printing printing two other things happen one you get a large enough population reading exactly the same text in their own vernaculars that you get nationalism and on the other side of things you get this very private interior feeling of me and my book so you get individualism the the features of modernity of the private and and the individual um um become the thing that that you know we think of as modernity but that all gets that all gets completely fractured and um, disrupted with the electric in the 19th century with first the telegram telegraph telegram i mean it's interesting that we're doing all this work now in telegram a a digital Mm -hmm. app that's reproducing the disruptions of the 19th century um you know the the radio the television the movies all of all of that kind of of media disrupts the print Disrupts the primacy of print. So we've been, you know, watching the death of print for longer than people tend to recognize. And all of our sort of old-style old, old style academic practices of everybody needs to have the same book in the room, and you're all following along, you know, looking at the the text in the same passage that the teacher is telling you to look at. Right? Of course, people find that hard now because, you know, I'm trying to teach in 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 you know my classrooms, and I've got a lot of you know online sources that people are using because they're less expensive originally and now you know they're more dynamic and stuff nobody's ever on the same page because we can't the the pages aren't that stable you can't all be in the same book Mm -hmm. because you're looking at you know these movable scalable transformable um uh images that are also glowing at you because you know they're coming through the glass, that light that's shining onto you. And McLuhan would have you pay attention to all of those different layers, right? The alphabet, the mechanical reproduction, the, the you know, you know, tr- digitally transmitted reproduction, all of that creates our psychic space. So,
1: oh, I think it's dropped out. Um, I'm thinking about this because what what a lot of people uh are talking about now in terms of culture wars is the you know whether or not we're going to go into nationalism we're fighting for nationalism right. we're going against globalism without thinking about the effects that international communication in the electric is having on human um cultural uh development or even just uh, on the ability for someone to say i am of x-nation anymore what is the electric doing to people in that sense uh, are we able to have the same kind of borders that we had in the 19th century in the electric
0: age no and the thing is the 19th century couldn't have them that's that's the thing that the borders that the way we think of national borders are a feature of the 16th 17th and 18th centuries there's a feature of the print period and you could I mean the, you know you can see two things the match, great changes in media bring about these massive cultural transformations that they also tend to make people go crazy and <laughs> <laughs> you end up in war yeah. right it's like it's it's okay. it's very it's very easy to see um and I've you know I've start, I've started realizing the scholarship has actually touched on all of these things, but it's not been a, a kind of because you know I as a medievalist, um, dip in and out of the modern period, depending on when I'm teaching history of European civilization, and also when I have to listen to my colleagues give job talks about you know their fields and such and I th- th- We've had pieces of all of this for a long time, and but the scholarship, like the print scholarship, it's out there, in all these rant, you know, these random, all of these books that you may or may not read yourself, right? But if you hear someone talk about it, you can start putting pieces together, and you realize, okay, the 19th century scholars all recognize that the telegraph. Really did bring in enormous disruptions. Um, it starts, you know, being available in the 1840s, and ooh, what do you have by 1848? Massive revolutions across all of Europe. Um, you know, what do you have by the middle middle of the 20th century in the United States? Oh, guess what? A civil war, right? You have um, yeah. the the you know the consolidation of Italy and Germany. Quote out of these, you know, disparate regions that had never existed as nations, either as Italy or Germany. Um, you know, Italia was mm-hmm. a Roman province, Germany was a concept of empire. Um, by the late 19th century, they've they've turned into what we think of as the modern nations of, of Italy and Germany, but they were, they were forced consolidations across language groups and cultural centers and things like that. Um, you know, th- thinking about what happened to Germany by the early 20th century, well, England had been in charge of the empire throughout the 19th century because they have both their maritime empire and I mean English is English is the publishing powerhouse of modernity. Mo, more books right now are published in English than anything else. It's just, it's huge. It's around the world, but it's massive. Maybe, maybe not in China. I, I, I was looking at that once. It's like publish English, English, English is, is the, pub, the dominant publishing language. Um, and in the early 20th century, there's Italy and Germany challenging England or Britain, right? The the First World War and the Second World War were imperial. There were challenges to British Britain's empire in the electronic age. And if you think about the ways in which that those were fought, both with um, radio propaganda, I mean, what we're living through right now is the effects of those media transformations and the British empire, you know, both, took advantage of it and then was destroyed because of it or self, you know, self-destroyed, I think imploded. Imploded. <laughs> well, it, it, it tried desperately to destroy Germany. Um, and, and, you know, the Germans come back and in, in the second world war with, you know, new uses of film and radio and, and stuff like that. And, 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 you know, it was quite terrifying the the power of those, those media effects, um, But the whole we don't the the good thing that McLuhan is able to show is we're all in it right. You may feel like you're taking sides um, in these moments, like Germany versus the Great Britain or something. But in fact, everybody's affected by the media in in the in the same sort of um, register level environment right so you were asking it's like what do we do with nationalism now in this digital media well not not what you did in print it it, you can't get that back because we're in this completely new um surround
1: so because we're because we're in the surround sound of the electric we're not going to be able to do what they did in italy which is uh unify a bunch of disparate nation states or germany for example which was just the federation of all of these little duchies and, and other provinces um people are still people seem to still be forming something like nations in the digital it doesn't look like physical nationality anymore that's what i'm really mm. fascinated by um we we talked about uh, I mean our pigeons.
0: <laughs> can I talk about you can. Hitler? You can, well, <laughs> you, you can, but I haven't introduced the pigeons yet, so you'll have to, to you okay. have to bring the pigeons on stage here. It's a really odd segue, <laughs> but um, well, we, we,
1: we it was McLuhan, right? He was talking about Germany being essentially tribal in nature, and the and the the introduction of the electric communication into germany and how that was hijacked by antichrists mm. um uh i mean you're probably going to be able to explain this better but uh we, we were focusing on this as a as a, uh, as a way of um of looking at what what does electric communication do to human beings why is it that they are were, we're particularly receptive like in an almost trance-like state mm-hmm. to things that are getting broadcast in that surround sound um medium. So uh, we were looking at like, how is it that particular regimes or particular uh, political revolutions or or these kinds of things uh, are able to hijack populations very quickly through the electric medium? Um, You want to you want to um, comment before I go into <laughs> the the, the, pi- the, pi- the esque nature hold, of the human hold, mind. Hold the, hold the
0: <laughs> so I'd say you know all media okay. do this. I mean the the, the, the okay. um the, the you know we can get terrified of new ones. I mean after coming out of mm. COVID, right? It's like we're all quite aware of the degree to which whole populations can be affected by you know staring at these d- digital devices that we all carry around, and and mm-hmm. that that you know clearly has powerful psychic effects but um you know his i'm I'm a historian and and well i'm a middle medievalist but i always start my classes like well history of european civilization um it's like when does w- when's modern history start you know so you think about it from oh well you know she's been talking about the printing press and maybe she means the electric when does when does modern history start and it's like with writing right <laughs> that we we Mention the alphabet, right? Is, is as soon as you have the alphabet, you already have one of these terrifying um, exteriorizations of our thought, ourselves. And if famously, you know, the Greeks, the Greeks make excellent use of the alphabet and write philosophy and such with it, but they're already in this very dangerous position. I mean, speech of itself is exteriorizing, right? You have thoughts in your head that you then form around these sounds that we use and then express to each other and that exteriorizes it but to create some kind of system whereby you can make a record of this thing that i've just said th- that that all by itself is is just horrifying um, and mm-hmm. you know what we see in european history over the over the centuries is you know the introduction of that writing system across you know first in first in greece and rome and then into german you know what Germania, what Tacitus called Germania, into the north, and you know everybody is is just as powerfully affected by the the you know arrival of the the written, whether it's in a scroll or a book, as we have been by the the power of you know the electrical, the digital. So it, again, it's it's not it's not so much this medium or that medium. It's these mm-hmm. artifactual extensions of our humanity into the world, which you know the conversely we're made to do we (laughs) language is you know this this great ability that we have as as creatures the word (laughs) um but but we also make stuff so never never mccloon was always worried about this and i'm worried about it never should we be getting to the point where it's like this or that tech of itself is diabolical it's the the sort of powers that we have as made in the image and likeness of god that gives us this um. You know, balance on the, the the choice between looking to God or looking away from God, but but the elect so the electric the electric pigeons should should feel both kind of in- interesting and, and embodied and terrifying and potentially um, contemplative and transcendent. So should I? So I, I'll translate that. <laughs> Please do. <laughs> You all, you all uh, are amazed. She actually does understand what I just said. Yeah.
1: <laughs> uh, I, I love it, but I don't have any ability to say it in the way she's just explained it. <laughs> I like making little pictures of things. Very so good. So like, uh, so this is where this is where pi- the pigeon thing comes in. Okay, so like the. The, ho- the whole idea behind uh, all of this kind of communication we we were looking at was how you can influence someone at a distance and how people are able to follow the mode of that surround, uh, surround sound electric communication um, and how people are influenced by it really quickly to shift. And we were looking at... Uh, the behavior of pigeons, <laughs> which are these insignificant little birds that everyone calls rats of the air. But uh, these creatures are everywhere in Christendom. They're they're depicted everywhere in the iconography of the Christian church. It's just that most people don't call them pigeons, they call them doves. A dove is actually just a pure white pigeon. Uh, looking at why Christians from the earliest apostolic era focused so much on this animal as the symbol um, of both the Holy Spirit and also uh, a symbol of Our Lady. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, in terms of the Coptic Church, uh, in the Coptic tradition, it's very commonly said amongst the Copts that um, uh, Our Lady will appear uh, with white doves or... or. or uh, as a, as white doves um, in the in the apparitions in Egypt, but there is something about this particular animal that behaves in a in a in a kind of um, electromagnetic way. So the appearance of the dove at Pentecost, uh, uh, at the sorry the appearance of the dove at the baptism of the Lord, the uh, the, the recurring presence of the dove in all of these, and pigeons in all of these um, uh, iconographies of the Christian church uh, made me start to think about this. What is it that they're trying to communicate? So we were looking at, okay, what does a pigeon do? Uh, Apart from (laughs) scratch around for food wherever it can. They have these uh, messenger facility, like uh, a messenger quality to them, which is why people have been using them as telegram services for so long. They are literally animals <laughs> uh, that carry messages. Pigeon is the the, the original Twitter, yes! right? <laughs> I mean, you want to go talking about Tweety Birds and everyone getting crazy over Twitter, right. but, like, from ancient times, it was a pigeon. You wanted to tweet, you'd send a bird out, literally a literal bird out with a message attached to it. Um, uh, So they have this capacity to ride the electromagnetism of the world, uh, in a way that uh, is very similar to internet connection with um, the, the communication mediums that we're using. You can send them thousands of miles away and they'll come back to you. I mean, I'm not really sure exactly how people have trained them to do this, but obviously to Christians in the early church, that in the apostolic church, this was obviously very uh, known. Um, as you've said, Professor, when you're showing the, the mosaic art, in Christendom and they're depicting these animals. It's always in this kind of um, very uh, dynamic and electromagnetic magnetic way. They're always connected to light mm-hmm. itself. So, um, yeah, we, we're looking at these birds as messengers. Um, and so then in DCR, we uh started to to talk about this okay so you've got carrier pigeons what are we as christians if not carrier pigeons of the right. lord so the pigeon then becomes a symbol of us
0: as Christians, <laughs> which is we're working around to why we're calling this the mosaic ark right <laughs> which yes i did yes, I, I getting... kind of promise at the beginning that we were going to talk about why a mosaic and why an ark and and one we are in fact um, demonstrating to you all how it is that we, th- th- I mean, this kind of pigeon cloud effect of they fly here, they fly there. And eventually we end up with, oh, my gosh, that's the that's the image. Right. That 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 is yes. where it is. And that that kind of I mean, that kind of practice, what I was saying, the, the linearity of scholarship or right? it, it forces you into making this argument that, you know, you, you start at the beginning of the book and you keep going until you get to the end and then stop. Right. Joyce in, in Finnegan's Wake plays with that because you get to the end of the book and it wraps around because <laughs> the, 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 the first, the first sentence is half of the sentence and the last sentence is the other half. The last thing in the, at the end of the book is the other half and it wraps around and, and you just never, you can start anywhere in it because it, it's, it's like the, the referentiality of it is, is absolutely everywhere. This is, it's interesting because again, as we're talking about this, it can feel completely confusing and, and then and and she's making no sense, and why isn't she linear, and why isn't she pointing out this, this, and this? I can do that. You all have watched some of my talks to realize that do, but there is this this sort of joy in the discovery and the reincorporation of there's that element, there's that element, these two things go together, oh my gosh, there it is, and that feeling of harm that that resonance and an association and attachment that is what. McLuhan recognized was the medieval practice of exegesis. Um, That it was uh, this, what he called sort of grammatical in the sense, it was encyclopedic, you needed to kind of know everything because you're always looking at everything in the world, the creatures and the stories and the references in this story and the references in that, um, you know, margin. And eventually it all starts, and I think the the pigeon has to be it, It eventually it all starts coming together and... You see that you see the 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 shape of it, and then it flies away again, so that this this process of making meaning has been it it's nicely symbolized for us by the birds in their flight because they don't seem to go anywhere in any one direction, and then you realize that it's been a pattern all along mm hmm and the pigeon gets released from the ark
1: and returns to the ark, which is why we, we have this as our theme, right? right? Um, the the central uh, the central uh, icon of humanity leaving the ark after the flood is the release of that carrier pigeon. It's the messenger going out into the earth again right. to to tell Noah and his family um what has happened so we've been tweeting since the
0: flood <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well and we're in this new flood which is i, I you yes. know the flood of the digital this this chaos i mean absolute chaos i've I've had this thing for the last several years of oh now I've forgotten what's. we're in chaos now because it was race wars totalitarianism chaos or christ um and we had the race wars in 2020 we had the totalitarianism in 2021 and i was saying this last year in the 2021 right race wars totalitarianism right now we're in chaos we're in the the 2022 is no but i mean you can feel it kind of i think i think we're modeling well the confusion right now (laughs) this this, this conversation and i i i will say i spent a lot of time trying to set up everything so this would be like more organized and it just i failed i i I can't i funnily enough the 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 internet is winning because this has to happen in this kind of associative of where do we go place and I can't see the chat yet because I can't figure out how to turn my windows back on. Um that we're in the chaos right now, right? But we're but Christ is with us. Christ has been with us the whole time. But this you know whatever the Christian nationalism is, I think it's I think most of what I'm seeing is a pale which is not necessarily bad, you know, sort of dove-like color, but is is not yet the full rainbow mosaic of the joy that we mm. are going to be able to catch a glimpse of if we can find our way back into the liturgy. And that's that's been another of our great themes. So let me see if I can recap and do the professor thing. It's like there's this McLuhan problem of the media and the medium is the message and understanding how the actual media that we're we're participating in has this psychic effect on us right and the internet the flowingness of the internet and the 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 sort of how many different images do you see in a day I mean on telegram you're you know mixing and matching and sharing and going in this and that and it's like you, you can process all of that you it does make sense to people and and they will have some feeling of understanding of it, but they may not be able to narrate it. Very, very, very effectively, mm-hmm. right? It's, it's not there, but that, that medium that we're in is is what we're doing. Christianity has all, will always, and is always the answer to this media nightmare, right? Because that is who Christ is. He is the Alpha and the Omega of the alphabet that we've been talking about. Think about that. So we can say the Alpha and the Omega, the alphabet is this instrument of tyranny and totalitarianism and imperial, you know, globalism, which it is Mm -hmm. um but christ enters into the world becomes incarnate in the world and is our alpha and omega transforms that i you know i've been i've been wondering about this you know how do i come to McLuhan and joyce and the scriptures and my obsession with understanding the story of christ i I realized I was as I was talking to him when you came in, and I was about to tell them in the long-winded professorial way about the research that I've been doing last this past year on reading the Gospels, which was my point <laughs> about why I was taking those classes on New Testament. <laughs> I can do this. I can find all the threads and pull them back together. But I, you know, maybe you can. Maybe yeah. you guys have to re- watch the watch this recording to to realize that I did do it. Um, why was I growing up in the '70s attached to all of those? desires and images well I re- I recognized I mean I grew up listening to um Jesus uh, Jesus, Jesus Christ Superstar right the, the the it was actually originally not a stage production it was it was simply just the music to start with so it was sort of a radio play kind of thing um Jesus Christ Superstar and um Franco, Franco Zeffirelli's Jesus of Nazareth which was shown on television very mcluhan kind of thing on television mm-hmm. as a miniseries in in 77 and I am fixed on the way Robert Powell portrayed Jesus he, he apparently Powell spent the rest of his life saying I'm not Jesus stop saying I am I, you know it was a character I played but he, he he you know he did a beautiful portrayal of our Lord and I was clearly one young enough and two in the television medium impressed enough right McLuhan talks about how the the television is project the light projects onto you and it's it's a, a um it's kind of it pixels are not what we had in television but he he would said it was projected out onto you movies were projected onto a screen and then that reflected television was showing shining the light onto you and he got really interested in well what kind of effect would that have psychologically on you so i am immersed in jesus of nazareth <laughs> at the very impressionable age of 12 or so um and that, you know, is what sent me to those classes in college and wanting to understand the Jesus in history and then getting into the reading of scripture and, and layer, 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 river run, finding out that the screenwriter for Jesus of Nazareth for Zeffirelli was Anthony Burgess, who was a great Joyce scholar. And, I, you know, this kind of stuff happens all the time to me now, right? It's like <laughs> it just happens again and again and again. And there, we've been watching um, videos of Burgess reading about Finnegan's Wake recently, and, and, and you can find it in my Telegram feed, right? He, he, he also wrote Clockwork Orange, right? So he understood what the terrible media effects were, but he also participated mm-hmm. in creating the television series that turned me into... I was Christian growing up already, but, you know, it's just like, how are we, there's a positive element to our immersion in these media too, that Christ comes to us through these embodied media. That is literally what the incarnation is. It's his entering into our embodied medium.
1: Yes. As well, man is the ultimate medium of, 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 of God, right? I mean that's yes. what it is. We're made in the the <laughs> likeness of the logos. So we're the we are the medium. We are the message.
0: Precisely. And and that's yeah. what's so funny about McLuhan, it, the, the, the the you know, it's like one beautiful we got here, right? If we clip this out, that'll be the thing that everybody gets to remember <laughs> because it was the point. Right? But that that was the problem for McLuhan all along. I just saw there was some tweeting there was some tweeting about McLuhan recently, and Stephen Pinker, author of Enlightenment Now, uh, that's a hilarious book if you want to read something about, someone who started, Pinker, I mean, we know why he was, you know, associated with Epstein and everything like that, so whatever, um, he, his language instinct is actually an interesting book, because he starts with this linguistic claim of what we are as animals, he doesn't, I don't know whether he thinks it's creatures, as animals, is we have an instinct for language, right? And he's saying to say we are mm-hmm. made to speak, and that that does seem to be primary primary capacity that we have as uh, as tool makers and speakers, right? Um, yeah. But then, but 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 then, you know, Pinker has to go through the you know how does how do how do in better angels better angels of our nature. He goes through the historical claim of you know it's the Enlightenment that makes us able to you know not be murderous murderous all the time and like no actually your timeline's off it actually starts in the middle ages around the 12th century and guess what we can see it because of records because oh right they're christian <laughs> but that's that's not what pinker's going to say in his in his version of the story it's always christianity is brutal and 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 horrific and we're better off without it and thank god for the enlightenment because we got rid of all that nonsense well so pinker was tweeting yesterday or this this past week about how McLuhan was you know of course fascist because you know, what are you if you're not enlightened fascist clearly and weirdly drawn to mysticism. And I'm like, okie dokie, this is, (laughs) this is where we always end up, right? Mystical is, as I said, it sounds like the thunder to most people. You have Mm. no idea what they're talking about. Christians sound like the thunder to those enlightenment rationalists who cannot hear the joy. And McLuhan it sounded nonsensical to everyone because he kept not really saying out loud, one, he was Catholic. He converted when he was doing his dissertation work. He was like, goes to be a medievalist, he ends up Catholic, you know, mm-hmm. been there, done that. Um, and because he, he was talking about the one truth of, the, you know, the one place in which the medium truly is the message, the word became flesh. Right. And mm-hmm. and that what you just said about you know we as human beings are God's medium. He talks I mean, he talks to yeah. us through us with the pigeons and the and the electronic and, and everything. We are God's medium because and, and Christ yeah. enters into our incarnate reality as God's God's voice to us. Yes.
1: This is the liturgy. Yes without veering off into a different topic it's the same exact we're gonna be doing that a lot everyone best get used to it (laughs) yes this is the liturgy (laughs) it's the liturgy um so you know as you know professor i i have not learned apostolic christianity through scholastics i didn't read uh so if anyone out there is going to ask me a lot of questions about the scholastic debates just don't do it because one, I don't know that much, and two, I don't care. I've learned apostolic. <laughs> I mean, I might change my mind in, in you know, a, a little while. Uh, but for now, I'm quite happy to to stay away from all of it because um, uh, the, w- the way I see it, I've learned Christianity liturgically. I've learned it through the liturgy, which is the way medieval Christians right. were learning right and what happens when you go in and you do that is without any preparation whatsoever you begin learning the grammar of the faith you begin learning the grammar of the scriptures by being completely immersed in it suddenly and it's not starting at the beginning going to the middle and going to the end right um like a lot of people will say oh well i want to learn to read the bible should i start at genesis and go into the apocalypse <laughs> no it's choice it, no. it's literally like a voice. right you can you can jump in wherever you want to jump in the point is you have to jump in and you're gonna have to learn a completely new language right because the scriptures are are intra-referential right they're self-referential you start to learn the symbolism of the of the, of the scriptures whereas you can't read the new testament without knowing the old testament but you won't understand the old testament without knowing the new the new testament christ being the great revelator of the scriptures to us because they are him so going into that that uh liturgical way of learning is essentially what you what the professor is describing is it's the way the medieval christians would have learned christianity they dive in so the liturgy itself is is the process of becoming literate in the faith, but it's not just sitting there and reading. Although we do read, and unlike the uh, the Protestant slur that says that you know the uh, the Catholics were uh, dominating everybody by keeping them illiterate, it's absolutely not true, as the professor will be able to tell you. <laughs> um, yeah. uh, and you know even. Uh, even in in our tradition, even in the Coptic tradition, we have a, an incredible emphasis on on oral learning, but there is still high a high level of written literacy. It's just never divorced from the oral. Right. So the majority of the way that I've been instructed has been in this McLuhan esque way, and it is very very Catholic and very foreign uh, to non Catholic thinkers. I mean, it's. It's a different form of discipline, but it can look very
0: undisciplined to people that are not used to it. Right. Right. And now I will prove to you the magic of we did not rehearse this. And yet you have hit no. you have hit the points that I planned. <laughs> because I have here. I have to like just hold it. Hold it to my camera. Right. I, the title of this was the grammar of the Internet. And I didn't tell her. I did not tell her that. That this was going to be and the other the other thing that i was getting to was this problem of how do, how do you prevent simp- simply like gibberish right the baffle garb mm. <laughs> being the thing that you fall into when you you're thinking symbolically and just everything associates with everything else and everything refers to everything else and um you know as we're speaking the occultic psychosis, psychosis, the, occultic psychosis. the occultic psychosis which is the uh, the mm. flip side of i mean one i'm going to figure out we're, we're just doing too well i'm going to stay with the stream here because i do hope that people are leaving some comments in the chat um that that we can get into this and say well there what what you know professor and and, and pigeon here are doing i'm the pirate she's the pigeon don't worry you. um the, what, what what we're doing <laughs> she really is a pirate <laughs> i am i have i have i have gold clad pirate ancestry um that, and I'm not kidding, uh, that, that wh- if what we're doing here is like, you know, oh, it's all this medium is the message and everything refers to everything else and it's all, it's, aren't we just going to end up in that psychosis of, uh, you know, solipsistic psychosis of, of claiming I'm the I, the, I mean, either the sola scriptura, which is not quite accurate of what the Protestants were doing, but it, it folds back into itself and becomes that. The utter solipsism of making your own religion. Then of course we're not. <laughs>
1: no, um, no, but but you you can't in the you you cannot fall into that if you are following the liturgy. Right. That's the frame, and I think this is the the issue. I mean, you have it all the time, right? When you're on Telegram, especially arguing with Protestants when they don't understand the icons, the veneration of Our Lady. Instantly they knock out their ability to enter into this uh, pigeon exegesis of the scriptures right. because this is the way that the early church was was reading was reading the scriptures for for those of you who don't know, the professor has written a book, several books, but she's written a book specifically about this, showing Mary in the Old Testament. Mary is everywhere in the scriptures. But, if you're not connected to the liturgical practice of the church, you will not be able to see it. Right. Um, so the solipsism, I mean, it happens when you're not connected to tradition, you have to be anchored in the tradition of the church. The tradition of the liturgy, the tradition of the Eucharist, everything, everything about that uh, it, it is the absolute anchor. For
0: someone to be able to think like this, otherwise, yeah, you do end up <laughs> you you end up crazy,
1: you you flying you... off, yeah, and, yeah.
0: And and the thing is, I think what what you know, we're we're trying to test and 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 demonstrate is human beings are made to think this way, right? We are. Mm-hmm. So I, I I'm glad I started with the thunder in in the in the in the Joyce and, and keep thinking about it. I back in the day, I did a lot of reading in. Um, evolutionary psychology. <laughs> Woohoo. Mm-hmm. Um and and and, and <laughs> you know as you do because because I'm I'm interested in mythology, I'm interested in patterns, I'm interested in stories. I've read all of it, right? You mm-hmm. guys. I got I got as interested as I did, for example, in Jordan Peterson because I had I was interested in the way he was tra- he, he alone among academics seemed to be talking about myth, right? And mm-hmm. it, but it's very very easy if you go, you know, towards Jung and his sun worship, and you know, incarnating his voodoo thing that he he's this, this lion god or something like that, or you know, you go the other direction and you end up, well, mainly Jung, right? Um, with I don't know Joseph Campbell, who was Catholic but is is like looking for the huge anthropological patterns. Anthropology is like the the what religion becomes without the liturgical anchor it's it's all practices some of this we're we're going to be you know going into detail in in future episodes not today <laughs> of what happens when you're not properly anchored liturgically um, in in our you know in the truth right in the cross and it's because both as we have language right so logos we are made to have language but we're also made to have mythos we're made to have the the story meaningfulness of of everything. And that's why, you know, for Christianity we, we were trying to understand ourselves in this great wraparound story of from Genesis to, to Revelation, which is only meaningful mm-hmm. insofar as it wraps around. But it's the it's the, the anchoring of story and liturgy, which is the anchoring of meaning and time, which is the anchoring of you know your soul in the church all of that has to happen otherwise yes you end up making patterns out of everything yes going insane and going insane so that that you mm-hmm. never you never have any way of understanding why it you know it's it's all not just chaos and and the inter you know the the grammar of the internet i i was i was thinking in my notes right so the, the in the net right there's this net that captures everything and we can just trawl through and I, do you, do we get nothing but monsters when we surf the internet and and you know f- go fishing or do we get fish do we get you know actual mm-hmm. actual um sustenance and We've one of the things I think i I'm hoping that we can do in these in our conversations um is help help people see the way in which we're trying to you know it's a disciplined practice, right to write our poetry, we're actually having to meet regularly at a particular time on you know on weekdays and write it in a particular structure with the iambic pentameter and the you know the musical beat it's like a metronome you have to have the beat of the meat of the music all of this structuring is actually necessary in order to not go completely nuts yes <laughs> why is the world not, gone nuts i'm they not do-
1: entirely sure people are,
0: are not just convinced it's already happened well, <laughs> they, maybe Maybe. So I, 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 what I didn't want to do was change screens to the places where I have like other things stored. Um, I can change screens now, but I think I may, it may, may make your, your feed go wonky. So let me see if I can change screen okay. to where I can see the chat. Oh, no, look, it worked. Well, that's nice. Okay, so can I interact with... Oh, look at that. There's even some people talking maybe. It, it what the problem is it might feed up and, and and talk to me and i i will hear us okay see i just did that okay see <laughs> i i've i've i did what i didn't want to do in the middle of that conversation so let me go back chat i am now looking at you um working glass bear working class bear hello casey hello mel hello burning pitch evening um Casey, a medievalist thinking too far ahead. Scholars are still studying medieval work a thousand years later. Well, indeed, right? We'll still get, <laughs> caught a live stream. Yes, Scott, S S O T S Sots, all right. They ha- they've had a nice conversation while we've been talking. Um, uh, they're worrying about pe- people being made to be illiterate, I think is a problem. Mike, the Australians stole your notes ahead of time. Who's the pirate now? Well, <laughs> pattern superstitions.
1: Well, I'm actually in the future, so if I did that, that just proves I'm an interdimension- interdimensional she, time You traveler. are the interdimensional
0: time traveler, <laughs> and I don't know where. So anyway, what I thought, I thought, just to make this a little less completely abstract and, and, and maybe end on a, in a more comprehensible note, I had an example um, of something that's just happened in our... Our chat, our. I also got a lot of things in my lap. Okay, um, of the way things, the way things play out when we are ex- discovering these resonances and associations. Right, and I did actually tell her that I was going to do this, but it's it's. Let me set this up. Okay, so one of the one of the exciting things that happens while we're writing the poems. Oh see, there you are in big Just a second. I need to fix you. Woo. Y'all should be reading that text that I put up online just so, now. Yeah.
1: Have you given them homework already? I have given them screen work.
0: They should read the screen. Oh, that one I did better. You're, you're a little bit better framed. Although these are these are not as it's not as good. Okay, so this is this is from Aurora Berry Alice. All right. Um, and it's I actually have a copy of Aurora Berry Alice, but I've got all my so I'll read it off screen, right? This is one of the riddles that the bears are given to have to answer or is it were at least meditate on as they climb in the holy mountain and are looking for the panda who's been raptured while he was eating the offerings on the altar which should be completely obvious to everyone what that was um and uh, although it wasn't to one of reviewer that was it obvious we had we had <laughs> one reviewer to say you know isn't this a bit traumatic and we're like well ecstasy kind of is but you know <laughs> We'll leave Saint Teresa to explain to her what was going on there, right? Okay, so and then the other bears have come along to you know find what happened to the panda, where the griffin took him, and they they see a series of hieroglyphs on the wall of the the cavern that they they're 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 walking through, and this is the third of the three mysteries. As they climb the staircase and assembled, as I I I, I'm going to have to get my book just a sec. I can't read it off screen; it's too little. Here's my book. It's an actual book. You can buy the book. You should buy the book. You should buy the book because then you can read it in like big type and not trying to do it on screen. Okay. Okay, so this is this is the one that's on screen that you can see. As they climbed the staircase and ascended, the bears saw crystal shapes carved in the frost. Drops of sun and with them snowflakes blended into a crystal bridge with archways crossed. The scene emerged now as a rainbow bended near a shining crown that was deghost, writ round this diadem of clay and coal, quote, within the darkest earth the great light glows. Now, this is, this was one of the passages that I do know that Kiltz actually mainly wrote herself, because <laughs> I told her to, um, saying, we need riddles, can you write some riddles? And looking looking at the the picture that goes with this actually kills can't see it but I can remind you what which one it is, right? You remember what's in the picture? Oh no, I can see you. You can see me now. I can see Okay. You. <laughs> so yes. tell the people what you see in that picture or what was what was what maybe was going on in the in the the imagery.
1: So I was describing a gemstone which should be the the most obvious <laughs> part of that picture. but um the idea behind that being a gemstone there's a there's a little bit of a riddle behind it as well because the gemstones in the scriptures are always associated with the city of uh the new jerusalem but also the the ephod of the high priest of israel Mm -hmm. for anyone who's particularly uh familiar with the with the Le- levitical pattern of, of liturgy as it as it began after the exodus there was a very important part of the priestly garments which is the ephod which is this tablet covered in precious stones and then there's the urim and thurim on the on the shoulders and this was a divination device we would know it as a divination device but essentially the um the idea behind the the gemstones in there is it they are representing elements of Christ, elements of mankind, redeemed mankind. So in this riddle, I was describing exactly what it is about the body of man is going to reveal uh, the immortal God in in unification with him. Because that is what Christianity is. Ultimately, what we are seeking is the complete oneness with God. Um, The Greeks call this theosis, I don't know what the Latins call it, I can't recall, but we have our name for it in the Coptic traditions. Um, It just means being made one with Christ, complete unification with Christ. The saints have achieved this, Um, uh, but the the, the idea is how is it that the uh, omnipresent, omniscient omnipotent God is able to enter into us as, as what we are, which is just basically clay. Mm -hmm. Right. We're, we are minerals from the ground that have been animated from dust. You come from dust. You shall return. So the the idea behind this riddle is to get uh, everyone to start meditating on the process of um, becoming one with God in, in that clay. So if you re- if you read that riddle then hopefully you'll understand what uh, what we were depicting in that picture that from something as basic as clay or coal uh, light can shine through it's the transformation of the human soul that allows that to happen the most crystal clear of uh of any uh Person alive who's ever uh, experienced this was, of course, the Blessed Virgin Theotokos. She is the clearest crystal. She is the one who points the way. So the Panagia is is the one who
0: shines the brightest in this way. And and there is a, there's lovely poetry, particularly like Hildegard Bingen has a wonderful image of her as the, the crystal and that that is a standard, that's a standard description of Mary that she's the, the crystal through which the light shines. And it's this, the, the, it, this mm-hmm. image of the incarnation that the light is shining through her. Okay, so we wrote, we wrote this, this poem about this time last year. <laughs> it was, it was last, it was well, for us last summer, for you last winter, um and you we were working on on this image and i had i had this amazing moment when i realized we were trying to describe basically a silmaril right um that i'd been doing on my tolkien videos and it was this image of a gemstone holding light right? And, and shining Mm. forth. And when I've talked about the Silmarils, it's things like the monstrance with the shining of the the host and the, and the, and the um, Eucharist. But, but also just that there was this, um, you know, radiant gemstone. And as I was working on, uh, we were working on this poem, I was actually visiting my mom and I was sitting, sitting at this table under this, under this lamp (laughs) the McLuhan moment will be coming in a second right and (laughs) and I we we got this image suddenly of these shining souls diamond-like and when we're doing the poetry and the 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 things chime into place and the the meter works and the rhymes fit and everything it's like this this sort of revelation of oh there it is there it is there it is and I'm Mm -hmm. sitting there at my mom's table and I look up and I realize I'm underneath <laughs> the image that we've just written, right? These these nice. amazing, well, and then they turn into eggs in the in the story. You realize we've written these crystal eggs, which that was that was one thing. That lamp has been in my mother's house for forty years, right? I, I grew up with that <laughs> lamp, but I'd never seen it. This is a McLuhan yeah. moment. Now I recognize because one of his famous phrases is "electric light is pure information." You don't notice. The electric lights, right? You were surrounded by them all the time. They have changed our world mm. more than any image, mean, so whether, whether the internet or the, it's like the electric light transformed humanity utterly. And McLuhan understood that. It's like the, the gas light. We talk about gas lighting and the gas lights. See The electric lights, you can turn night and day off and on like that, right? It's, it's changed mm-hmm. time. Everything is different. And we don't even notice the way in which light is around. It's unless you're trying to video and not, you know, tell you to put a good light on your face so that we can see you. It's, 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 it's a, <laughs> I try. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a, you know, this, this, we see it, but we don't see it Moment, so that you realize we're yeah. on We're always, always, always in that light. Well, okay. So that was, you know, the secret to what we were trying to achieve with Aurora Berry Alice, that We were saying, you know, the, the, the bears find themselves in the light of the griffin and that that was meant to be, you know, our revelation to the, in the, in the, 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 the animal story of the, the, I'd say anagogy, the fancy word for it, is that that you, you suddenly recognize yourself in the story, recognizing yourself in the story. And that, that sort of cascade of associations and references is I mean, one thing it seems poetry is capable of expressing it in a way nothing else is. You can't do it in a scholastic Logical argument, which was the the big, the big debate that McLuhan understood, was between the grammarians and the the dialecticians. Right? It's not so much the rhetoricians yeah. and the dialecticians; it's the grammarians who name things and do the poetry, and the music, and the the associations and resonances and naming of things. I said that already. Um, versus the scholastic logicians who make syllogisms and arguments. And, of course, one of the, the deep things that happens in the 16th century that McLuhan recognized was this, this quarrel between, it's not so much Protestants and Catholics, it's quarrel between the grammarians and the dialecticians, the scholastics who destroyed mm-hmm. the monastic, poetical, liturgical thinking in their interminable and, oh my gosh, I am so bored by them, debates over... <laughs> I mean, and it, it gets into Marian doctrine too. Things like, you know, is she the Immaculate yes. Conception? was like, yes, yeah, she's in the liturgy. She's praised, you know, we praise her, and, you know, you are all beautiful, my love, and there's no spot in you. That solves it for me. Oh, no, if you get in the dialectical mode, you have to then argue it out, right? And there is a place for the dialectical yes. mode. But the, 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 When it when this Aristotelian dialectical mode erased the monastic liturgical mode out of medieval thinking, that's when everything fell apart. And it's it's you know it's, it's not so much necessarily the printing press or modernity or this. It's the loss of the poetic grammar that yes. fractures the soul, right? And you go into either mystical nonsense, which we've said it, right? People go there, they get you know yes. why why does everybody? It's like this. Is, we're getting to the real meat of it here. It took us two ma- hour and a half. <laughs> but that's how deep we have to go. To get to this place where you say this is why we're all surrounded by rainbows all the time right now this is why everybody is going nuts and trying to dress up like rainbows and you do it whether or not you are i mean you do it in in the hair color and the 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 pride parades and the nonsense and, and stuff like that but what McLuhan understood even in the 60s was this desire to be in the in the light was reflected in the mm-hmm. way in which everyone was dressing in what he called international motley. Right? It's like I think Johnny Depp has perfected it in, in his own wardrobe. That that you, it makes <laughs> no sense whatsoever what culture your your art is coming from because it's like all all at the same time, right? You've thrown the bedspread on yes. and, you know, your wedding dress and, you know, the jewelry that you got in, in New Mexico. That why I have that. And and it all goes into this one great um it's it's that desire of the monastic and mystical which because it's no longer disciplined liturgically turns into you know either faux liturgies people trying desperately to make themselves have some kind of structure or straight up madness
1: right. yes
0: yes well
1: this is this is the thing if you talk about uh being in the story to people they they i mean from from what we've seen, they start to sort of get very afraid right. because what does that mean to be in the story? But it's very simple because every time you go to a liturgy, what are we doing? We're praying for our reposed saints. We're praying for our repose patriarchs and popes. They are not dead in our tradition. They are praying right. for us. We can ask them to pray for us. So what are we actually doing? We're communicating with the church from now all the way uh, back until the resurrection. So if we can do that, if we can actively and, and instantly send tweets to the saints, because that's what we do in, in a liturgy, right? Yes. We're talking to people which the, the non-Catholic world are considered dead.
0: This is not normal
1: behavior. For anyone who thinks you're gonna become a trad cath and
0: look normal and be more conservative, it's not You're going gonna to happen, you're gonna dude. end up in, in, in Mosaic Motley too. <laughs> no, you're, if you if do you're it, gonna end up in the You're mosaic. gonna end up in the like, Mosaic, like, in, in the joy of Yes This this liturgy. Uh, th- right. It's
1: That's Catholic Europe. Right. They're batshit. Right. So I mean in the in the best possible way. But I mean we're, we're looking at what, like yesterday, this uh church in Greece that just has this like influx of of little snakes that go and (laughs) hang out around an icon during the Dormition I mean for the outside this looks shockingly occult the thing is we are not divorcing the material world from the spiritual anymore you can't do that after the incarnation of our Lord he's here in flesh in the Eucharist so that's what's happening to us so I mean in terms of like entering the mosaic He's in it now. He's where you are right now. So if you can go into a liturgy, kiss icons, ask the saints to pray for you, you're in the body of Christ, in exactly the same way all of those reposed saints are. Yes. So the mythology of the of the scriptures, the revelation is now, the apocalypse is now, you're a part of it. But realizing that is quite terrifying right because you start to realize you're a part of the mythology of the scriptures your life your personal self is potentially an icon of the church that is a shocking thing to come face to face with but you can do it if you come into it through the poetic through the grammar the scholastics and the dialectics are not going to get you there. They'll help you in other things, but they're not going to allow uh, allow you to see what the monastics, what the medieval monastics saw, which was themselves in
0: the mythology of, of Christ, the history exactly. of, of the human race. And you need what McLuhan, I said McLuhan started with the trivium, right? You need the trivium, you need the language mm-hmm. arts, but you also need the number arts you don't you don't get it you yeah. need both the trivium and the quadrivium because the quadrivium arithmetic geometry music and astronomy it's not science it's liturgy it's it's you need mm. you need the numbers to be able to build the beautiful buildings that you are you know worshipping in um you need the 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 music obviously to sing in the liturgy you need astronomy to know the time and and this is this is what is 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 fascinating about it as we've been talking about saying without this structure, without the liturgy, without the prayer life and the, and the, the discipline of, of the praise, you end up nuts. It anchors us in both understanding through the language and in, in time and um, like the meaning of structure, which is what the, the numerical mm. is, the quadrivium, which is what poetry is because it gives you language in meter, it gives you logos in, in number, and, and, and therefore absolutely everybody should be just as good at, at, and if you take your SATs, you should be just as good in words as numbers and vice versa. You know, there's, there should be no, this, this sort of fracturing of the humanities from STEM is, is as much a, a catastrophe as everything else. They're both dying, right? With, with the, 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 um, sciences all by themselves end up tyrannical and non, you know, We've just lived through it. And the humanities mm-hmm. without the number ends up unstructured and, and crazy. You, you've you got to be both number and, and word. And that the monastic tradition was trained in the trivium and the quadrivium because they're training for the liturgy, for this structure that we're, we're looking at. It's the altar mm-hmm. at the church where I go to mass in Chicago. There's some more layers, which is why when Kills is talking about finding yourself in the story with the saints right? that We had this little moment. I, I want to get them to this moment um, that I was showing. I, I've been asked um, to look at a book of poems because um, the author was hoping either I could help her promote them. Her name's Rachel too, which is kind of fun, um, to either help promote them or review them and thereby a poet that I'd never actually, you know, looked at, paid attention to. And so I, you know, kind of Googled around and looked up and I found the first page of the translation of some of these Little poems in a, an earlier uh, edition, and I, you know, posted that page into our poetry chat. Um, and this this the, there was this poem. There's this line he wrote in couplets, right? So he wrote in German, but in these these um, rhyming couplets, like the ones that we first used in uh, centrism games in our in our in our first poem. Um, and this was this was the version that I, I posted. Pure is the finest gold. Hard as the granite stone, holy as crystal clear, your spirit must become. And then, Silly. And then Kilt showed up. <laughs> what? What is this? Where did you find this? Because?
1: Because I learned that in song three months ago <laughs> from a friend of mine. Uh, and I've been hearing this sung in the background over and over and over again until i knew it with slightly different Mm -hmm. lyrics but i freaked out because this kind of thing happens (laughs) all the time so i just said hold on a second who is that she said it's uh, angelus salisius
0: which is a funny name because that wasn't his that wasn't the name that he was baptized with he was baptized as Johann scheffler a lutheran um he was born in 16 did he stay Lutheran? Did, did he, he stay? stay did he, <laughs> he did not. Indeed, he did not. He went and studied in Leiden in Belgium, which there's some more resonances with one of the people I've been working on this past year, um, a commentator who's, who was there maybe when he was. Um, read a lot of mysticism, Jacob Boehm and, and others, maybe some alchemy and Kabbalah, and came out Catholic, much to the horror of the you know contemporary Protestants. They accused him of you know, selling trinkets yeah. and games and, and you know, gambling cards and rosaries and things like that, and wrote this amazing series. Apparently there's 1,600 of these plus little epigrams, right? And they mm-hmm. are, based on the the, the book that I've, I've been looking at, she did a nice little introduction saying it's weird to read them because they're these mystical meditations mixed in with sort of witticisms on daily life and i'm like "Whoa, gee it's telegram (laughs) it's you know the, the the 17th century version of little posts right little quip little quip posts that you get throughout the day and some of them are you know meditations on the meaning of 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 our souls as crystal and others of them are somewhat more mundane and and then realizing that he was you had never heard this. You said you heard it three months ago. You wrote that poem for Rare Bialis before you knew this? Yes. Yeah, you know, yes. <laughs> it's like, how did you write An- Angelus Silesius's couplet before An- you knew Angelus Silesius had written that? And interestingly, he... Pigeon. pigeon. It's just pigeon. It's, it's That's the pigeon. The wraparound effect of these, which you're in the stream in looking for these patterns and and from the scriptures to the liturgical references and back out it this kind of thing happens to us all the time in our poetry writing which is why you hear squeals if you could hear it in telegram of us recognizing the resonances and the patterns coming together we're not done yet <laughs> <laughs> So Angelus Angelus Silesius, he took the name because he, he was from Silesia. And so he calls himself basically John the Angel of Silesia. And I say, oh, gee, where's Silesia? I've, I've never really thought about Silesia. Oh, guess what? It's in Poland. Guess what else is in Poland? Well, uh, you know, there's, there's a region that maybe you, you hear a lot about. I mean, it's um, famous for coal mines, iron, zinc, lead, coal, huh? and salt. It's famous for coal, Right which is why there's a particular town there that was became famous in the 20th century. I'm very interested in exactly where all this goes. I'm not sure how to say it in Polish, but in German it's Auschwitz. Mm. <laughs> we don't even know where this is going to take us now. And then I'm like, gee, okay. St. John Cantius is the saint whose altarpiece you see here at the church where I in Chicago go to mass, right? And we are very traditional in that we do the Latin mass, both the Novus Ordo newer version in the Latin, but also the old one. Um, the canons are magnificent because they're so interested in the restoration of the sacred. If you watched me read Aurora Alice the first act to the children, it's at this church, right? And Cantius, I'm not really sure who he is because, well, I'm not Polish and I haven't, you know, being Catholic for that long, and he was—he was actually born in 1390, died in 1473, and was famous. Well, not like Saint Francis for you know colorful activities and stuff, but he's a professor. <laughs> and in fact, one of the one of the canons at Cantius it consulted with me a, a year or so ago, in COVID time, um about some of the miracles that are associated with Cantius. When the altarpiece here is showing one of the ones that he's famous for, which was. Um, he's, you know, coming and going from his lectures, right? You see him in his academic robes. And this, um, young woman had a milk jug that broke and he pauses and takes care of her and fixes the jug, right? And it's like, well, you know, Francis had better miracles, right? He talked to birds and stuff. (laughs) This is is all we get, right? This, you know, he heals the jug and I'm talking to Father Dennis, who's writing the, the, the life of Cantius for the... The group, the can, the the um, community, and he's studying all the manuscripts that we have in Kantius's own hand, and of course I say aha to a historian. That's the that's the real relic, right? It's like you have his autograph mm-hmm. manuscripts, you have his own writing. Oh my gosh, that's amazing! They put some in the book. It's, it's nice, but you know, there's there's a the sort of tension between well, he's the academic. whose whose knowledge we have in his own books right he's right there he dies in 1473 right there on the cusp of printing so you know he's in the last generation of the great manuscript scholars and you know dies right as as printing is coming in and then father dennis is worrying about you know the way the printed version of his life is carried on this this kind of thing is what i get into as a scholar and stuff. okay fine so you're looking at the painting you're saying there he is fixing the Fixing the milk jug and say, "What's that church behind him?" That is the church in Krakow, where he was a professor, and that the community in Chicago, who came from Poland, built and then you know they're remembering him. It's a workman. This is a workman's church, right? It's very very beautiful, but it was all like the local community built it to true Christian crafts, and they're painting their home church in the picture that they are now worshiping in front of in Chicago, right? So this home away from home. Well, where's Krakow? It's kind of near Auschwitz. <laughs> and in fact, mm-hmm. Cantius grew up in the the what's now the, the the Auschwitz region in Silesia, which means he grew up in the region that then Angelus of Silesia, Silesia becomes this great seven. It, we're all in the same story, right? You just, the, the, yes. the cascade, and cascade and cascade and cascade and cascade, and you realize... We are constantly being shown the mystery that we are participating in time over and over and over again. This happens both, I mean, this is why as a historian I'm doing, I, I'm going to look up the chronology, I'm going to look up the geography, I'm going to look up the space and time where these things happen. And you start realizing all of the layers of meaning that we are participating in constantly in our incarnate experience that is the other thing that christ calls us to do he became incarnate in time the the cross is this great like pin on the 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 river of experience a.d we date by christ so that there's 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 low layers i'm not done yet (laughs) but but i but i hope (laughs) you have some more thoughts on that (laughs)
1: Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> how how many different parts of the delta do you want me to go down? Owen,
0: a few more. I think we're going to go um, for two hours at least here. If Owen can run for okay. four on this platform, I'm doing, I'm filling it in a little bit just now. Go for it.
1: Uh, well, like the river run, mm-hmm. right? I mean, that's time. It's. I mean, I I come. You know, I'm in a continent that didn't have a, a BC AD distinction until two hundred right. years ago. So there's an argument you know everyone's arguing pol- politically uh, correct uh, arguments regarding what it mean what it means to be colonized and what it means to have an, an empire colonize a new territory. but no one really has the the thought of figuring out what Australia is without Christendom and it's the world without the b c a d distinction. we live in the dream time in Australia. so the least Christian that this uh continent becomes the more we going back into dream time which is into the flow of time without the incarnation of christ in it which is chaotic it's chaos so a lot of things i've been talking about with you professor is that the the natural way of thinking in australia lends itself more to this kind of mystical pattern recognition almost but it's completely unanchored in anything chronological. There is no Logos in Australia without Chris and, uh, without Christianity. It doesn't exist. We don't have the monuments here to remember history like everyone does in Europe and in Asia. There is, there is no civilizational monument that can remind us of the past without having connection to it uh, in a liturgical way. The landscape here makes you completely immersed in a kind of all-time, or what Joyce would call every when, <laughs> mm-hmm. right? It's past, present, and future bled together into one dream time experience. And uh, having grown up in it and left, uh, I recognize it for what it is, but it's, uh, it's a healthy thing for Christians to be thinking of themselves in every when the problem is that without christ everyone becomes psychotic it becomes it becomes uh unanchored in anything real whereas once christ has entered into our world and entered into time he's keeping time christ is the metronome of Mm. history yep right so you've been working with us on the iams on the beats scanning keeping time having the meter that's the the quadrivium having that measurable arithmetic counting things uh without having these poetry projects where i've been living we've lost all like we had lost all liturgy during covid in australia Mm -hmm. in every sense of the word the 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 sacred liturgy had been cancelled with the exception of you know live streaming it which is not the same because it's not the surround sound. It's not multisensorial, and you cannot have a, a you cannot have the liturgy without that multisensorial surround sound. But we'd lost all of the secular uh, markers of time; they'd been eliminated. Australia lost a metronome for two mm-hmm. years. So, when I started working with uh, with you, I mean, you essentially have helped me keep time for two years. Um. I don't think I would have done as well during the COVID lockdowns as I have without it because, I mean, we're not designed to be completely severed from any liturgical experiences whatsoever. Right. Even tribal societies have never had this before. They've kept time in their own ways. The, the human mind has to have a metronome, has to have metric. What we did in australia was the elimination of any kind of metric of time so it's been an interesting experiment very interesting to see the um effect it's had on everybody poetry is the purposeful measurement of that uh keeping keeping time keeping everything so when you're talking about Silesius and Cantius mm-hmm. and how suddenly these things cross over because we've got Krakow and we've got Auschwitz and we've got a church in
0: Chicago yeah. and
1: how does this fit fit, fit fit with some goth chick who wrote a um a riddle about gemstones and you know who's been like humming this uh Silesius you know bit well it fits because this is the grammar of history right. this is what we're looking at. We're looking at the grammar of everything together and it connects and it fits in terms of that monastic way of thinking in terms of that men- medieval way of, of thinking but only if it's connected in uh, in in Christ
0: right
1: like you know what I mean so as you've uh, as you've said, like we have to we have to be able to. See uh, that BC AD, but also see Christ in time. Then that that kind of experience makes sense. Right. Uh, and and then when I find you suddenly posting Celestius, <laughs> and I'm like, oh my god, I understand this perfectly. I don't feel psychotic. I'm not right. psychic. It's it's just that the patterns are there. Mm-hmm. It's it's like uh it's like um I suppose a kind of science in that you're measuring things that are already in existence. It's just a different measure, different, yeah, different measuring tool.
0: Well, this is, yeah, I think, I mean, a lot of what we want to, to, you know, help people explore is this sense of, um, when you start seeing these patterns, how do you, how do you distinguish history from, from not myth, right? Because we're in the myth history. It's all myth history. But, but the, the associations that the demons are, are, are making rather than the meaningful and 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 the truth is is joyous and happy and anchoring and um it so it's interesting going back to our theme of you know but to hear christians talk about this sounds nonsensical when you're not used to the anchor which is yes. which is very um interesting
1: it's not chaos it's not chaos um i think This is probably something that's important to mention it's not
0: it's not chaos we
1: we don't find this chaotic at all in fact it it, it's only uh orientating it because every single time this has happened since we've started the writing process you have found something else which has led us to more understanding of things that have been evident to medieval uh monastics Right. right
0: Yes, well, and so uh, we had, we were playing with this egg a lot, right, <laughs> which is Hildegard's vision of the cosmic birth, Ah, yes. Right, and and there's, we showed Hand-Drawn Bear this so that it's somewhat in the, one of the pictures in Aurora Alice but that we are, I mean, mm. Hildegard looks a bit nuts in her visionary exercises, but she, she, like, all, I mean, the great Christian mystics are grounded in liturgy and are... This is what, you know, when you say Catholic or, or Orthodox or, 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 you know, the long Christian tradition, it is, it resonates with itself. So it's not going off it's... all by itself. It always, you know, the, the, the it, it's the church singing. And it does make sense and it is consistent. And we are trying to test that to find ways. And, I mean, in our poetry, we're hoping that we're finding a modern digital context for expressing these, these you know, not eternal truths, because we're doing you know we're doing the in time truths of the incarnation. This, these incarnate truths yes. of Christ's engagement with yes. us in in our humanity. So that you know, I I like that that you know the the the, the lat the, the last year is people like you know getting chickens and everybody's getting eggs and you start realizing you know like we're the 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 joy of the of the fertility in the eggs and life and new life coming from eggs is the. The thing that we're, you know, it's like the ordered, the ordered beauty of life. Yes. Oh, I've lost that's you. That's okay. You've lost me or you've lost the.
1: Oh, no, the the
0: audio cut. Okay. That's fine. Um, I've got you back okay. now. So that's, that's, that's an awful lot to absorb everybody, right? <laughs> <laughs> have you, have you stayed with us? There is yet more, and of course, that now you understand that the we went from James Joyce to Auschwitz. I mean, that's quite a ride. <laughs> and it's, we've all been we've been guided all the way by our our dove, right? Whom we are going to yes. be um, regularly sending out into the world, and um, we hope to share with you. I mean, some of the process, right? It's like it's it's not, if you if you read it in the poem, you say, look, here's this one line that then has this, you know, the um, within the darkest earth the great light glows and realize that there is a you know a tradition that we weren't even aware of of reading um through the eggs and I mean we were we were aware of the eggs and the crystal and Mary and so forth but not of Silesius and this association between where he came from and where St. John Cantius came from and you know therefore where I am participating in the you know, the presence of our Lord on, you know, when, when I, when I go to mass and that I'm in our, in our um, opening and closing videos for, for these, for this podcast, you'll see the the altar with the Cantius image now, and you'll see this wonderful window with the sacraments. This is the sacrament of, of confirmation with the, with the, um, the descent of the spirit that we are hoping by way of example and you know, there's, there's some theory, there's some example, but example of the sorts of tidbits that we're finding, the things that the dove can bring back in her beak, um, to give to give a, a sense of the joy of this entire um, flood that our ark is floating on um, throughout. So. We hope to be here weekly. It's <laughs> just our plan because we're very monastic and we're gonna be on you know, we're gonna be doing this on a regular schedule, which anchors us in time. The stream needs to be anchored in time. And yes. hope, hopefully, hopefully, um the, the the, pigeon can translate the professor. <laughs> and the professor can beg 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 for translation because otherwise I sound like I talk in footnotes. <laughs> <No>. Perfectly logical. <laughs> And only and literally only one person seems to understand all of the references <laughs> to run, that I'm making, and I don't know why, and I don't know how that happens, except for except for it does seem to all come come to us through the the liturgy and yes, river run. River so, run, river run. <laughs> Here, let's let's listen to the thunder. We'll tell you more about Joyce. We're we're currently all reading Joyce, so that that will come into it. Um, but we're also currently t- writing another another poem with, with pigeons and 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 so forth. And it will be telling you about that. There's always more. It the river does not stop. We're we're in we're in that. So, um, should I sing Caelius as an outro? I I think you should sing Caelius as an outro. All right. All right, it's probably not going to be very
1: good, but whatever. You'll hear what I've been hearing.
0: Pure as
1: the finest gold, firm as the granite rock, transparent as the quartz crystal, my soul shall be. So that's like the little tune that I was hearing for ages and ages and ages. So as soon as I saw Celestius.
0: That was my hit. It's the it's running, 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 running river run.